In this episode, we remember my fondness for both a classic car and the king, but definitely not school buses. I let you in on what I wish my voice sounded like. I reveal what I've learned while counseling couples in distress. Oh, and we discover, pretty much definitively, who is, in all likelihood, the dumbest person in the entire Bible, all on the way to answering the question, did Elvis get it right? Welcome to the Sky Pilot Podcast that explores questions of faith, spirituality, and religion. I'm Dan Matthews, and I don't have all the answers, but I do enjoy the questions. Welcome to the podcast where every question is an invitation into a spiritual quest, and you're invited along for the journey. So the question is, did Elvis get it right? Or it could be our latest installment of the podcast where we ask the question, is that in the Bible? It was 1977 and the beginning of my sophomore year in high school, and I was stuck riding the bus home from school again. I was just a couple of months away from getting my driver's license, and I had dreams I had big dreams that involved my parents soon buying me a car. Didn't happen. And my driving myself to school every day in my brand new car. Actually, it wasn't brand new. That wasn't my dream. In my newly restored mint condition, red 1968 Camaro RS convertible. Yeah. Hey, if you're going to have irrational dreams, at least go big and in detail. But for now, I was 15 with big dreams and a seat halfway back on a swelteringly hot school bus. I rode a long, winding way to and from school on that bumpy bus every day. And the only positive aspect to the whole ride was that this year, our driver had spent some of her own money and installed some improved speakers on the bus. Now, these were nothing compared to today's standards of fidelity, but compared to the bus's previous speakers that made every radio station sound like it was an all-kazoo, all-the-time channel, this was a huge improvement. So I'm riding in the bus, and the latest Elvis song entitled Way Down starts to play. This song was a huge hit for several reasons, not the least of which, as I just told you, it was 1977, and it was released as a single on August 16th, 1977. Elvis died the very next day. It was, therefore, of course, the last song ever released by him while he was still alive. So I'm sitting on the bus listening to this song, and it's just a fun song. And it's brightening up my spirits from the ascending bass line played on the piano early in the song that just helps build the energy and excitement. Yep, that's the one. To the fantastic male voice who sings way on down. Yeah, my voice didn't even come close, but that's the guy. This song convinced me of two things. 
One, I wish I'd been born with a really cool bass voice. And second, I'm an Elvis fan. No, I don't dress up like him, collect memorabilia, and make pilgrimages to Graceland every August. I'm a fan, not a fanatic. He simply has a lot of music that's just plain fun to listen to and therefore makes me happy. Now, fast forward to the present day. So recently, I'm listening to the 1970s channel on my satellite radio, and they start to play an Elvis song. It's one of those hard-driving, energetic songs for which he's known for, and I start to sing along. Now, I don't know about you, but I am totally the person who can have learned the words to something, but also have never actually listened to the words that I've learned. So in this case, the song Hard-Headed Woman starts to play, and I start singing along. And I suddenly realize something I've never noticed before. This is a Bible song. Why have I never noticed before that this is a Bible song? There are three verses to this song, and each is about a particular Bible story. So, for the purpose of fun and a bit of education along the way, let's take the song and look at these three verses. One of the things I'm aware of is that very often what we know about Scripture comes more from external sources than it does actually from the Bible. Now, a great example of that would be what we know about Satan. Much of what most Christians know about Satan comes from extra-biblical sources, meaning sources outside the Bible, from Justin Martyr, who was in the 2nd century, to Origen, who lived about 100 years later, to the 14th century poem Inferno written by Dante. And even if you've never heard of these or read any of them, I guarantee you they have had much more to do with influencing your and my thoughts about Satan than the actual words of Scripture, all of which will no doubt be a future podcast in which I'll talk about who Scripture describes Satan to be and then what popular culture has described him to be. So for this Bible-focused song by Elvis, that is, by the way, and interestingly, the first rock and roll single to ever be given the designation of gold record, I thought it's worth looking at more closely just to see the accuracy of its verses and possibly discover if it holds some errors that we might be inclined to have thought were true. So let's dive in. The song begins with a chorus and then immediately moves into the first verse about Adam and Eve. Let's listen to that. Well, a hard-headed woman, a soft-hearted man, been in the cause of trouble ever since the world began. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the church of Okay, before we delve into the Bible, let's talk about that chorus. Is it true that a hard-headed woman, a soft-hearted man, been the cause of trouble ever since the world began? Well, I can't speak to the history of the world. But I can say that I have counseled my share of couples who are having marital problems, and the number of times the issue was the combination of a hard-headed woman and a soft-hearted man was, 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 well, never. 
Now, let's go on and look at the first verse of the song. Now, Adam told to Eve, listen here to me. Don't you let me catch you messing around that apple tree. The apple tree seems to be one of those fruits that gets its share of credit and notoriety. Someone through the ages is doing a good job of pushing it to be given credit where it isn't even always due. Such as a falling apple did indeed spark the thoughts of Newton about gravity. But it was not an apple hitting him on the head that sparked the idea. That was somehow just someone trying to give the apple more credit than it was due. The apple just fell nearby somewhere. The apple in the Garden of Eden? Well, there really isn't any mention as to it being an apple at all. Scripture says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord had made, and said to the woman, Did God happen to say to you, You shall not eat from any particular tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, Oh, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God did say you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it, or you shall die. First of all, it seems that God gives the instructions regarding the tree at the heart of the garden. This is not, as the song suggests, Adam's initiative at all. But as I looked at the passage in preparation for this podcast, I saw something I'd never seen before. So let's continue reading. When the woman was convinced that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, then she took of its fruit and ate. And she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. Did you hear it? Scripture says, Then she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Scripture doesn't say that she went and found Adam, nor that she called him or he came by later. Scripture is really clear on this. He was already standing there as the conversation between her and the serpent was taking place. Now, this totally changes the narrative that she somehow tricked him. He was there for the whole thing. A more accurate narrative that is faithful to Scripture is that they got themselves in trouble together. Now, why is this important? Because I've heard a lot of Christians diminish the importance of women and claim the superiority of men based on this passage. They say that it was woman who led man to sin, and therefore men ought to be dominant and women submissive, but that actually isn't supported by Scripture at all. So before we move to the next verse of the song, we need to define a word, which is Nazarite. Now, Nazarite comes from the Hebrew word meaning consecrated, and consecrated often is understood to mean blessed. But that really isn't the full meaning. Consecrated really means to be blessed and made holy with the intent of being set aside for a special purpose. A Nazarite is a person who's taken a vow 
that is intended to set them aside for a special purpose, the special purpose of doing God's work. The vows taken by a Nazarite are fairly specific, and they're in the Bible. First, you will not cut your hair. Second, you will not consume fermented drink. And third, you will refrain from any contact with corpses. I know those are pretty random and seemingly unrelated, but that's what they are. They're in Scripture. So now, our second verse of the song. Now Samson told Delilah, loud and clear, keep your cotton-picking fingers out of my curly hair. Samson was an Old Testament character who was in love with Delilah. Samson had taken the Nazarite vow and in turn was imbued with legendary strength. Delilah was the original femme fatale and had been hired to discover the secret of Samson's strength. Let's turn to the pages of Scripture. This is the book of Judges. After this, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The Lord of the Philistines came to her and said, Coax him and find out what makes his strength so great and how we may overpower him so that we may bind him in order to subdue him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me what makes your strength so great and how you could be bound so that one could subdue you. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that are not dried out, then I shall become weak and be like anyone else. Then the lords of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried out, and she bound him with them. While men were lying in wait in an inner chamber, she said to him, Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a strand of fiber snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not yet known. As we continue to read through the scripture, which I won't go through the whole story, So three times he gave her false clues, and three times she used those clues to attempt to subdue him while he slept. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me three times and now have not told me what makes your strength so great. Okay, first of all, we can thoroughly dismiss the notion that Samson somehow laid down the law with Delilah and she broke the boundaries that he had established. Second, Samson may well earn the moniker of the densest man in Scripture. I believe it was Maya Angelou who said, When people show you who they are, believe them. Delilah was never anything but clear about her intent once she possessed the secret to Samson's strength. Okay, the song is... Oh, for two so far. We now move on to the final verse, the story of Ahab and Jezebel. So on to the third verse. I heard about a king who was doing swell till he started playing with that evil Jezebel. Well, that's easy enough. Ahab is a good guy who married poorly and was led into bad things. Okay, I'm not going to read the whole story, but suffice it to say, Ahab was a king of Israel who created an alliance with the Phoenicians by marrying their king's daughter, and her name was Jezebel. In 1 Kings 
the 16th chapter, we get to verse 29 where we are introduced to Ahab for the very first time by being told that he came to power as king. Now, what's interesting is that is the first time we've heard of him when he comes to power as king. And the very next verse says this, Ahab, son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. Okay, Jezebel's not even a part of the picture yet, and they've already pretty much described what kind of king he is. Now, in the very next verse after that, he marries Jezebel. And then, very quickly and succinctly, the verses following immediately begin to tell the story of the horrible things the two of them did together. So there we are. Elvis, the great entertainer, not not so good as an authority on biblical stories. Of course, let's be honest, neither you nor I expected him to be, and nor should we expect him to be. The point of this exercise was not to point out the error of his ways, but really the point of the exercise was to point out the error of our ways. We shouldn't allow popular culture to shape the way we understand the stories of Scripture. So the next time you hear a famous person quote something from the Bible, like Elvis in one of his songs, or somebody, I'll use another example, like Mike Ditka. Remember Mike Ditka? He was coach of the Bears. He had that famous tearful press conference after they lost where he says, Scripture tells us all things shall pass. When you hear something like that, you can go check it out for yourself. Look it up and discover. Nope, it actually doesn't say that. That's all for today. On your spiritual journey, may you ask questions, seek answers, and boldly go wherever the quest takes you. Be sure to check me out on Facebook. Just search for SkyPilot FaithQuest. And if you'd like to send me a question or respond to my podcasts in any way, I'd love to hear from you. My email address is skypilot at gmail.com. That's skypilot with three T's, S-K-Y-P-I-L-O-T-T-T. I had someone recently tell me that they had tried to leave a review for me, but had been unable to leave a review. And I had to remind them that you can't leave the review if you haven't subscribed. So I invite you to subscribe and then please leave a review. Thanks for listening to SkyPilot FaithQuest. I invite you to send me a question or leave a review. And remember, the sign of a strong faith, solid religion, or healthy spiritual journey is not certainty, but that you keep asking questions. <laughs>